Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. I want to read a couple of verses to you, which will be our verses for our message today. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 4 and 5. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. This is the word of the living God. Speak to God. Have a seat, please. Well, we continue our series this morning in the 11th chapter to the letter to the Hebrews. A letter that was written uh, to Hebrew men and women who had come to faith in Jesus Christ as God, King and Savior. So these were real Christians. Over the course of time, however, these Christians have begun to waver in their faith. Perhaps there is some of you in here today who are wavering for one reason or another. You're stumbling in your faith. They're not sure, these men and women in this letter that's addressed to, they're not sure if Jesus is worth it. Worth the adversity Worth the cross-bearing? Worth the ridicule? And so the writer does what every pastor or Christian would have done. He marshals all that he has to persuade these Christians to press on and remain faithful. This includes the exposition of Scripture and doctrine, and that scripture and doctrine in the book of Hebrews is centering on Christ as he is preeminent and better above all things and all people on this planet. It also includes, as we have seen the last couple of weeks, portraits of faith, exhibiting how previous believers remained faithful until the end. Did you know it's possible to remain faithful until the end? You can do it by God's help. Our two portraits today, beloved, are Abel and Enoch. Not Enoch, but Enoch, if you want to say the Hebrew, but you don't have to. And what they have to say to us about the nature of faith, I pray, is cherished for years to come. And I say that because I set out on the study this week not knowing where it would go. Abel and Enoch... What does these two men, old men, have to say to us? How does Abel and Enoch still speak? And what I've come to so appreciate about these men, I pray you come to appreciate them as well. They call us back to a devoted heart to God and a genuine fellowship with Him. 
So our outline, boys and girls, our first portrait is Abel. Our second portrait is Enoch. This is not very creative. I understand that. And the last section for our message will be application, where I think we'll spend the bulk of our time, our application for practical religion. Abel, first portrait, Enoch, second portrait, and we'll finish with a few words of application as our conclusion. So, our first portrait, Abel, verse 4 of chapter 11 to the letter of Hebrews. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. A couple of things to mention here before we turn to Genesis chapter 4. Abel offers to God a more acceptable sacrifice, and through this sacrifice, it relates to his righteousness before God. We'll find that out in Genesis chapter 4. And God accepts these gifts. He commends Abel as righteous. And through this faith, though Abel is dead, he still speaks today. So what does the author have in mind? Well, congregation, turn to Genesis chapter 4. We'll spend just a few moments here. Maybe just more than a few moments. We'll read verses 1 to 10. I want you to catch the the thought of what the author of Hebrews is seeing in this story of these two brothers. Boys and girls, Genesis is the first book of the Bible, so if you have a Bible, you can turn back to the first book of the Bible, to the fourth chapter. Verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now, stop there just for a moment. It is possible that Eve sees Cain as the promised deliverer of chapter 3. It's tricky in the Hebrew. It says, I have gotten a man, comma, Yahweh. So it's possible to read this as Cain is that seed of Eve that will come to smash or crush the serpent's head. That's possible. So, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. You go, you go try to solve that, all right? And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. So Abel is a shepherd. And Cain is a farmer. Verse 3, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. 
And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Actually, you are, Cain, by the way. And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now, there's a lot here we can unpack, but for our purpose this morning as to Abel and Cain, we need to look at the fact that God accepts Abel's offering and Abel himself and rejects Cain and his offering. And there are various interpretations as to why this is the case. Again, you can track some of these down on your, on your own. The most common says that um, Abel was following his father and mother. So Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. The Lord God made, at this post-fall here, the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So the Lord God slaughtered animals and provided garments of skin for Adam and Eve. And the thought, the argument is, well, Abel knows that. So Abel then brings an offering of an animal, a blood sacrifice to this offering time while Cain just brings something from the fruit of the ground. So the, the idea is it's, it's more about uh, Cain or Abel seeing God as redeemer and creator Whereas Cain just sees God as creator. Are you, are you following? He's following in his father's footsteps, bringing a, a blood sacrifice. That's the argument. That may be true. But Genesis, I think, sees these offerings not so much as substitutes for sin, but as expressions of of faith. Hebrews 11. In other words, Genesis draws attention not to the substance of the offering. Cain squash, Abel's sheep. Cucumber, lamb. Okay? But rather... Genesis draws attention that Abel brought the firstborn of the flock, quote, and their fat portions. Abel brought the first fruits. Abel brought the first fruits, while Cain brings an offering. It's as though Moses pictures Cain looking around in Genesis 4, hoping to find something to bring. Well, I guess it's the time of sacrifice. I guess there's some squash. Here's some, here's some vegetables. I got to offer it. While Abel, in giving his first fruits, demonstrates 
that the Lord is first in his life. That the Lord would have his best. That the Lord would have his heart. Do you see it? It's not so much in the substance of the offerings, but in the heart behind the sacrifices. And Abel says, you know what? Real faith, saving faith, is a heart devoted to God. Real faith, Abel says, he speaks to us today. Real faith, come what may, is consumed with the glory and honor of the living God, of God, whatever the cost. That's what Abel is saying to us today. I forget where I heard this, but David Brainerd, friend of Jonathan Edwards, um, 18th century missionary to the American Indians, was described in these words. It was said that David Brainerd was God's man. For God first, for God last, for God all the time. Oh, for a faith like that today. Oh, for a faith like that today. For God to be first. For God to be last. For God to be all the time. So that whatever situation, work, marriage, finances, leisure, God is never an afterthought in your life. We tend to think faith is expressed in some courageous, extraordinary work that we do. And Abel says, you know what faith is? It's getting back to the basics of having a heart consumed with the glory and honor of the living God. Come what may. Our second portrait this morning is Enoch. Verse 5 of Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Go to Genesis chapter 5 and see this man, Enoch. Verse 21 to 24. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. So there's two volumes in Enoch's life. Before he had kids, he was not walking with the Lord. And then he had Methuselah and 
the text says that he began to walk with God all of his days. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, contextually, Genesis 1 and Genesis 5 are bookends to the first section in Genesis. All right? Before you get to the uh, Noahic covenant and the flood in Genesis 6 to 9. Genesis 1 and Genesis 5 are bookends to the first section in Genesis. And when you read Genesis 1, you have a refrain. It goes something like this. And God said, and it was. And God said, and it was. And God said, and it was. Good. This constant refrain in Genesis 1 you have to mark the first bookend. But when you come to Genesis 5, after sin has filled the earth, the refrain is, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died, all but one man. Enoch. He was taken by God. And we are told two things about Enoch, and they're one and the same, really. That he walked with God, Genesis 5, 24, in that he pleased God, Hebrews 11. I think that has to be one of the most profound and beautiful things said about someone. That he walked with God. That he pleased the Lord. I think sometimes as a dad, about leaving a legacy or a pastor or these type of things. And I'm not really one to think about a legacy. But Enoch had one. His grandchildren were told, you know, your great-great-grandpa Enoch, he walked with God. What types of things do you want to be said about you? About this church? When they put you in the ground? You know, all of his days, all of his days, great grandpa Jeff, he walked with the Lord. He pleased the Lord in all things. Enoch, like Abel, you see, demonstrates what real faith is. Real faith is a fellowship with God. It's not about what you can do for Him. Do you hear me? Hop off the Christian treadmill. Real faith is not about what you can do for God. It's about taking His Word one day at a time and walking with Him. It's not about being an expert in dogmatic theology, which is a church that likes theology. But real faith is not about being an expert in dogmatic theology. Real faith is about having a sincere fellowship with God without pretense and without terms. I want this. 
Do you want this? I want this so bad. You know, Grandpa Ryan, great-grandpa Ryan, through all of his life, through the ups and downs, the sin and the joy, one thing your grandpa did, he walked with God. His heart was committed to the glory of God. May it be true of all of us that we have a simple and sincere fellowship with God. Well, how do we obtain this? Um, without hopping back on the treadmill, how do we have a heart devoted to the glory of God and a real fellowship with Him as Abel and Enoch did? Number one, I have three of these. Number one, and they are in order intentionally. Inside out Christianity. Inside out Christianity. The Spirit of God effects deep change in us from the heart first. He does this primarily affecting us by the Gospel, giving us a taste for the Lord and His Word and His ways. In other words, real change does not begin by changing the externals. All right? It is not about what you can do for God. Some of you may be here and you think, I just need a little bit more religion. I need a little bit better at this and to do a better job at this, and then I'll have my Christian life kind of understood and figured out. No. No. Christianity, the Christian faith, is not about doing good at a little bit of this and a little bit of that. It is about coming to rest in Him who is perfect in everything and trusting in Him alone for Christ's sake. Real change, beloved, starts inside with the affections, you see. As you come under the Gospel and then Real change manifests itself in outward, godly behavior. You have to come to Christ first. Get a heart change. Rather than focusing on the externals. Puritan Richard Sibbs put it like this. If you don't hear anything today, hear this. Quote, Tenderness of heart is wrought by an apprehension of tenderness and love in Christ. You should be smiling right now. A soft heart, Sib says, is made soft by the blood of Christ. As when things are cold... We bring them to the fire to heat and melt. So we bring our cold hearts to the fire of Christ's love, Sib says. 
be always, he says, under the sunshine of the gospel. Get your soul under the cross of Christ. If you have a hard heart today and you're prone to legalism and working on the externals, live inside out Christianity. Bring your cold heart to the flame of the love of Christ in the gospel and the Spirit will spread afresh His love for you in your heart. Inside out Christianity. This is why I love the Christian faith. I'm terrible at getting better. Terrible. Christ is not. Christ is my all. Christ is everything. Two. Subdue personal pride. As a sin, pride is unique. Other sins turn us away from God. Bitterness, envy, fill in the blank. Pride turns God away from us. Psalm 119, 21. Pride lifts our hearts above God and against Him. Pride seeks to dethrone God and enthrone self. Pride is anti-God. It is God's first enemy. It was the first sin in paradise and it was why Cain killed Abel. (laughs) You want to show me up with your sacrifice? Let's come have a chat in the woods. You want to sacrifice God? I'll give you one. How should we fight pride? Three ways. So these are a subpoint to a subpoint. Consider the contrast between a humble Christ and a proud Christian. Just consider the contrast between a humble Christ and the condescension he had towards us and a proud Christian. Sib says again, encamp your soul at Calvary for some time and look upon that tree, he says, and pray that by his blood you would come to the end of yourself. Nothing kills pride like divine sovereign grace at the foot of the cross. You love to defend yourself? I do. You love to be right? You feel that, that urge to, to state what you think is right all the time? This is why we have to do things my way or the highway. Look at Christ upon the tree, dying for ruined sinners, and die yourself. Subdue personal pride. Seek a deeper knowledge of God and His glory. So this is uh, way number two as to fight pride. 
Seek a deeper knowledge of God and His glory. Job, Isaiah, teach us that nothing is so humbling as knowing God and having a high, elevated thoughts of Him. Job 42, Isaiah chapter 6. The third way we, sub- we kill pride. Remember, I love, I love some of these texts here. Remember, whatever you know and whatever you are is entirely of divine grace. You have no ground to boast. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have that you did not receive? <laughs> right? Oh, if you put it like that. If then you received it, Paul says, why do you boast as if, as if you did not receive it? <laughs> Everything you are And everything you know is entirely upon divine grace. So act like it. Talk like it. Write on Twitter like it. Engage with your friends like it. You're not a big deal. And that's great. Because Christ is We are not a big deal. Yield to divine grace and pride will die. Three, and this is where I'll wrap up. I love Genesis 4 and 5. One of the reasons is because they lived in a world which is stunning to think about that is a lot like ours. Post-fall, non-Mosaic economy. So, you have the redeemed community. Well, let's just see this. Genesis 5. You have the redeemed community, the Sethites. 5, 6, okay? This is the book of the generations of Adam. He goes down there. Seth, right? Uh, Seth is the redeemed line. Cain is the, uh, the line of the serpent. And Seth's line is the line of the woman, the seed of the woman. Okay, so these two lines here. Seth is this line, the redeemed community. Goes on and on there in, in chapter 5. And then you have Cain's line, chapter 4. It ends in chapter 4 with this man named Lamech who's really a bad guy. He's so, he's so proud that he, um, a man wounded him and he kills him and he boasts about it. That's how evil Lamech is. That's how evil the line of Cain is. So at the end of chapter 4, Cain's line, the line of the serpent, and at the end of chapter 5 of Genesis, the redeemed community, the seed of the woman. Clear? These two lines. All right. So here are these Believers living in a world not marked off yet by the Mosaic law, but it's post-fall. Sound familiar? They're having to navigate what it looks like to live in a common grace world alongside unbelievers. That's exactly like our age today. Is it not? So, here's my last point. 
live in two worlds. Or, as one scholar says, have a hyphenated existence. John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, Richard Baxter's The Saint's Everlasting Rest, show the power that the hope of heaven has to direct, control, and energize our lives here on earth. The Puritans believed, along with the pre-flood believers like Abel and Enoch, that we should have one eye on heaven and one eye on our earthly pilgrimage. That's what they show us. Knowing the joy of heaven will more than make amends for any losses and crosses we endure on earth as we follow Christ. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? So, beloved, devote your heart to Him. Devote your heart to Him. Walk with Him today. It won't be too long. Just a little while, the Scripture says, until we leave faith behind and embrace Christ by faith. What an amazing truth. Devote your heart to Him and walk with Him all of your days, every day. Let's pray. Our great God and Father, we thank You for the gift of the Gospel. That You might call us out of ourselves and into Christ more and more. Get us back to the basics, Lord. Get us back to the basics of a true heart devoted to You and walking sincerely with our great triune God. Do all of this, Lord, for the edification of Your people and for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. Amen.